Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. Today we want to finish John chapter 16. I believe we can finish it today. Part 4 of John chapter 16. And that's going to lead us into next week starting John. John 17 is a very unique chapter. In John 17 we hear Jesus, we've, we've been hearing Jesus teach so far, but we're going to hear him pray in John 17. The longest recorded prayer of Jesus. It's a beautiful prayer. It's full of meaning. Uh, so we'll take our time on John 17 too. But John 16, as we close it today, we will uh, we'll kind of round out this idea. We've been spending several weeks developing this idea of the, the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's really the essence of what uh, Jesus is sharing in John 16 with his disciples. That they are going to inherit, if you will, by gift of the Holy Spirit, the, the teaching ministry, the truth. As Jesus says, all truth. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. And we've spent several weeks talking about that now. So we're going to see how he closes that conversation with them. And we'll begin in verse 23. But before we do that, let's pray. We always like to pray. I like to ask God, love this prayer, to ask him to just illumine our minds and our hearts to understand the the gospel. So if you have a prayer card with you, let's pray together. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live, both thinking and doing, the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father, who is from everlasting, the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. In this verse 23, Jesus makes an incredible statement. He's pointing them to the future by saying, in that day. Okay, that's how he begins verse 23, this kind of this, this closing section of this chapter. He makes this incredible statement that says, in that day you will ask me nothing. That's interesting to me. So we're going to look a little deeper at that. Let's read it first, though. We've... I might have started to read it last week for you. I don't remember, but I'll go ahead and read verses 23 through 33, and then we'll come back to them. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask anything of the Father, he will give it to you in my name. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these I have said this to you in figures. The hour is coming when I shall no longer speak to you in figures, but tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that to you that 
I shall pray. Let me read that again. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from the Father. I came from the Father and have come into the world again. I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not in any figure. Now we know that you know all things and need none to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? The hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, every man to his home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said this to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And with that, Jesus, John closes the words of Jesus in the 16th chapter. Jesus, several times, you'll notice, points to the future. In that day. That phrase is used a lot in this. Day. In that, what, what do you think he means by that? What, what day is Jesus pointing to in that day? Sometimes the word day is a single day. Sometimes the word day might be referred to as an era of days. But what are you thinking Jesus means in that day? When he comes again. Okay, maybe when he comes again. After he has left. After he has left the world now. The world again, okay. And then comes again in that day, after he's left. What else? Any other thoughts? Pentecost. Pentecost, okay, yeah. So let's try and discern. Those are all really good answers. Let's try and discern what it's saying through the text here. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, and remember that's the word, amen, amen. This is whenever Jesus says truly, truly, or amen, amen, verily, verily, you want to pay attention, okay? Jesus is saying something that is so, I mean, everything Jesus says is important, but he's making an emphatic point there. If you ask anything of the Father, he will give it to you in my name. So he's telling them what that day is going to be comprised of. In that day, you will, if you ask anything of the Father, and you will, in my name, he will give it to you. That's a pretty powerful blanket statement to them. So we have to discern when is that day, and what did Jesus mean when he said that you would ask the Father in my name? And why is it not applying to the day they're in? Why is he talking about the future that they'll ask? Why are they not asking of the Father now, on the day that they're in? That's right. What you said, Dorothy, it's, he's, still he's still with them. Yeah. Up until now, they haven't needed to ask God of anything because Jesus is with them. He's been their very constant companion and teacher. He's been the source of all miracles and blessings. Uh, he's been the conduit of God to them. So they haven't needed to ask God for anything. But as he's been warning them throughout this chapter, you're going to be without me. I'm going away. And they can't quite get it. They're they're fearful. They're they they tremble a little at that thought. And he's trying to at different times we see him say things when he's trying to put them at ease. Um, but in that day, I really believe Jesus is saying post ascension day. 
So that day, I believe in this context, Jesus is saying every day that will ever be until I come again after the ascension. Okay? The ascension was, we know, when? 50 days after the resurrection. Okay, so there's a there's a flow here. It's about the very next day, the very next day from when Jesus is talking to them is going to be the crucifixion. Okay? Three days after that, the resurrection. Forty days after that, anybody know? Forty days after the resurrection, big event. Pentecost. Pentecost. The gift and the giving of the Holy Spirit. And then ten days after that, I mean, I'm sorry, um, yeah, I got that wrong. I'm sorry. So after the resurrection, 50 days after that is the, uh, 40 days is Pentecost and 50, 50 days is the ascension. Yeah, Jesus ascended 50 days. I think I got that right. He was with them for, Pentecost was 50 days. I just turned those around because penta means 50, right? So there is the ascent. Jesus was with them until the ascension, okay, for what? A little over a month. You know, not even two months. And, but here's these four big events. I put them on, this is a, a, on the board, and I, I didn't fill them in, but we'll fill them in. We have the crucifixion, the resurrection, and we need to, I, I want to pull all these together for a reason. The uh, gift of ascension. I said them in the wrong order earlier. Um, and then Pentecost, because Penta is 50. Okay, We know that Christ was with them for 40 days, Scripture tells us. And so the 40 days is the day from the resurrection to the ascension. Okay, And then 50 days after the resurrection, or just 10 days after the ascension, they've been in the upper room every day. That's the beginning of the book of Acts. Go and wait in Jerusalem until the power from on high comes to you. We know that they waited there for about 10 days, and then the Holy Spirit fell, Acts chapter 2. So that's 50 days. So the ascension is 40 days after the resurrection, and Pentecost is 50 days after the resurrection. But why do I call this the fourfold view to the kingdom? Because what Jesus has been teaching them about is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. A time in that day when you will ask nothing of me. And you'll ask the Father, and he'll give it to you. That's, the, that's that day. This is the kingdom, in other words, post-ascension, okay, post-Pentecost, Post-Ascension, post-Pentecost, those two events bring us into the kingdom age, the kingdom era. And who is ruling in the kingdom? Christ is ruling from on high. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where in ascension he was seen to, to go off into glory, to rule from the right hand of the Father. And he rules the world from the right hand of the Father, through the power of the, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the apostolic ministry of the apostles, which are the foundation of the church, and 
through the church. So you see how the power of glory is ruling the world and why all of these chain of events are important. God in heaven, Christ at his, God the Father, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Christ at his right hand, ruler of all, you know, King of kings and Lord of lords, you know, you sing the hallelujah chorus. You know, it's built on that, that concept from the book of Revelation that the King of kings and Lord of lords, that's Jesus Christ. He's, he's king of all creation. He's ruling the world in glory. He's conquered death. He's trampled down death by death. There's nothing else for him to do except to return again to usher in the final era. Jesus, you know, the, when, when Satan will be bound forever. Okay. Now, in the meantime, we have the kingdom of God right here on earth. Not in its complete fullness, as when he comes again in his second coming, that ushers in the final era. But we still have the kingdom of God. And that's what he wants them to do. They're going to learn this after they get the gift of the Holy Spirit, that there is a day coming. And it's a new day. So we're going to use that thought. This is a new, it's a new day unlike any other day. Or, and there I'm using the word like a new era, okay? Not only is it a new day, Pentecost was a new day that had never happened before. It's a, it ushers in a new era that has never happened before. Never before has the Holy Spirit been given in such a powerful way to all who will believe. That's a powerful thought. Holy Spirit's always been given to particular people at particular times for particular purposes. That's what we saw all through the Old Testament. God gave the Holy Spirit to particular people at particular times for particular purposes. But now, on Pentecost, it's going to be for everyone who will believe. Now, he is, he is, it's very important for them to hear these words because Jesus is connecting a couple of things. Verse 24, Hitherto you've asked nothing in my name because I've been with you, in other words. You haven't needed to. And you will receive that your joy be made full. There is this incredible promise that Jesus makes of asking in his name. Now, I put the Greek word on the board for you, the verb to ask. It's over 63 times used in the New Testament alone, uh, to ask. The Greek word, I, I put it, irato, irato, okay, is different. It, 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 but we, we need to understand this word because it means more than just to ask. If I say to you, uh, if I say, Dennis, would you go get me a cup of now, because I put please on there, that's a question, right? Because I put please. If I hadn't put please on there, it wouldn't feel so much like it would be more like a command. You go just. But but there's no there's no significant uh, relationship there. Now Dennis happens to be my good friend, and so there is. But but I, there's not implied anything. I'm just asking. I could have asked any of you to do that, okay? But this word is filled with filled with meaning. And part of the meaning, it's, it, it, let me just read it to you here. Um, it implies asking from a position of intimacy. And it implies the granting from a place of intimacy. Okay, so when Jesus says, then in that day you will ask the Father for anything in my name. What he's saying is, you have a special privilege. You are now, you're going to hear it later, he's going to say it in John chapter 17, you're now friends of God. 
You're not just servants. You're friends of God. And, and he's going to, we'll get that. I don't try not to get ahead of myself. But, but he's saying you have a, you're going to have, you're going to be in a position of intimacy and a position of, of uh, closeness to the Father. Now, I want us to hear that thought stated a little differently from the book of Hebrews. Okay, In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, we hear these words. I'll just read them to you. Knowing that, just to give you a little preface, we've studied the book of Hebrews in this class before, but it's been a long time. Uh, Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Some say written by St. Paul. We don't have fact of that. Uh, But written to try and share with them the beauty and the power of their Christian faith. Don't and not to turn back to the old ways of Judaism because they were Christians living in Jerusalem and they were being persecuted because they were different and they were tempted to go back. And in the chapter four, the writer tells us, he tells us about why they're so different. This is why your faith is so much better. He says to them this, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What is he saying there? He's saying, you see, we have a great high priest. You know, the Jews, they have a high priest, but we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, not just through a curtain in the Holy of Holies. Our high priest has passed through the heavens. What is that? That's the ascension. Okay, the passing through the heavens. That was Jesus passing through the heavens on the ascension to the right hand of God. And he calls him, he just says, it's Jesus, the Son of God. So because of that fact, we need to hold fast our confession. That means you've confessed to be Christians, now stand strong. Okay, goes a little further. Verse 5, 15, I mean. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but who was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. What is it? The writer of Hebrews is saying, our high priest is perfect. But he understands us perfectly. Our our high priest, Jesus Christ, he was tempted in every way, just like we are as a human. But he was found to be without sin. He's perfect. And so he knows us. You know, as the psalmist says, you know, he knoweth our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He's our creator. He knows us. And so he goes on to say, verse 16, let us therefore... Come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. Where is the throne of grace? Where is the throne of grace? In heaven. It's God's throne in heaven. It's where Jesus sits in heaven, okay? The throne of grace. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That was a revolutionary thought for those Jewish Christians. It was a revolutionary thought because if they needed the help of God, they needed to first bring their sacrifice to the temple and to pray through their high priest that God would have mercy on them. And only the high priest really was considered to have access into the very presence of God. Okay. And that, that they, had, they were talking about a physical presence in the back of the Holy of Holies, behind the curtain, 
where the Ark of the Covenant was, there was said to be, and believed to be, and I think was, the very physical presence of God in a mystical way. And only the high priest could go there. And he could only go there once a year. Okay? So there was this limited approach to God. And you were never really sure if you had what you asked for. Okay, maybe God would, they thought maybe God would have mercy on us. Maybe he would. But this is a revolutionary idea. Now, the writer of Hebrews is saying, we, you and I, He's, if he promised it to the he, to the Jew, this isn't just to the group of the apostles. This is an apostle writing to churches. Okay, if, And if he could promise it to them, then we know it's for us today too. But it all begins, this idea that we can go boldly before the throne of Christ in glory and get help in time of need, anytime we want, anytime we're in need. There's no barrier between us and Christ. That is why that veil that separated the Holy of Holies was torn in two at the crucifixion of Jesus, at the death of Jesus. It was torn in two to represent that we now have access to God. Now, that's only because first he gave access to them. Jesus Christ is promising his apostles access to the Father. As you and I have access to the Father, but he's promising that he'll, they need it because they need to lead the church. In their day, if Christianity was going to take root and hold, they needed to be strong. They needed to have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And they needed to be able to know how to ask for that wisdom. So let's think a little bit about how they ask for that. Because Jesus says, in that day you ask nothing of me, but if you ask anything of the Father... In my name, he'll give it to you. That's a pretty blanket statement, okay? And I think we confuse that sometimes with our own uh, understanding of this. Now, um, what does it mean to ask in the name of Jesus? I've talked about this before because he's been saying it repeatedly. But do you recall, it bears to be repeated, what does it mean to ask anything of the Father in the name of Jesus? What does it mean? Anybody remember? To know. <clears throat> to know what he wants us to ask for. Yes, to be so intimate that we know what he wants us to ask for. And when we know that it's what Jesus wants us to ask for, it's what the Father wants us to ask for, then we know we have our answer. Because his will is done perfect. Is it also that no one comes to the Father except through me? Yeah. Jesus is the conduit. He's the only conduit. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And it's through him and his fourfold mystery unlocking the keys to the kingdom. It's only because he was crucified and only because he was resurrected and only because he ascended and only because he asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit that we can come in and ask those things. And somehow we've lost, somehow we've lost the teaching of that. It has just become routine for us to end all of our prayers as evangelical Christians. It's just become routine for us to say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, at the end of our prayers, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Just understand that that's not what the text is saying. It's not saying if you just say in Jesus' name, boy, it's done. <laughs> it's not saying that at all. Because 
in the in the Greek in the ancient and in the Hebrew, the idea of a name in the ancient world was the essence of the person. Names meant something. I have no clue what Riley means. I mean, I don't know what my name means. It's Irish, probably. At best, I know it's the name of a tavern in Dublin, Ireland. I don't know. <laughs> you know, whatever that says. The Riley Tavern in Dublin, Ireland. Um, I have a question. Yes, ma'am. Uh, if we ask according to his will, and his will is that none should perish, how do we pray for children and friends who are away from God when there's free will? That's a beautiful question. Um, we persevere by praying. We know that it's his will that they not perish. So that's why we ask it in his name. Because that's a good example of what is his will. But there's no, I, I'll get in trouble with my Latin here, ipso facto, just because we said it, it's done. Okay, because God, that's the one area where God will not violate our free will. He, it is his will that we all should come to Christ and none should perish. But he won't make them. He won't make us. He won't make anyone come to Christ. Okay? So you are bringing up a great question. What does it mean? We, we ask in his name. We know it's his will. Why isn't it done? Because God will not violate our free will. He cannot violate our free will. Or he's not the loving God. The holy, loving, almighty God. So let's use another example. Let's use the one that's most common to our hearts. Our loved ones are sick, dying, maybe have cancer or something, and we want to pray for their healing. That's as common to man. It's, it's, we, we, we see that given in the, New, in the New Testament over and over. People are healed. Jesus says, and We've seen it earlier as we've studied in John. You have not because you ask not. John even said earlier, Jesus said that you have not because you ask with wrong motives. And we said, we, okay, we want to have the motive of God. We want to pray in God's name and in his will and ask for their healing. And then we see that they're not healed sometimes. What happened there? What happened there? Why were they not healed? Because they were healed when he took them home. We have to reorient our understanding of what it means to be healed. You see? Lazarus was raised from the dead. But Lazarus still died again. You with me? We might pray that our loved one be healed from cancer and they are still going to one day die again. Or die. You know what I'm trying to say? So it's not wrong to ask for that prayer of healing at all. Please don't stop. But let's understand what we're asking. We're asking thy will be done. Whether that's your will to heal them in heaven or whether that's your will to heal them physically here, it's still his will either way. Okay. So we can, we can really say, I believe with all my heart, I'm gonna, you can write this down, you can quote me on it if you want. Not that you'd ever have a need to quote me. I believe God answers all prayer. Period. Period. Many people think God doesn't answer their prayers. Sometimes it's no. But sometimes it's no. But and sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's Maybe. later. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe later. Okay? But God always answers. 
And if we understand how those answers come as yes, no's, and laters, then, then we can see how he answers prayer. And so our job is the same job as the apostles here. Their job is to, is to become so intimate with Christ, with the Father, that they ask intimately in, his, in their relationship. They have a privilege, and, and I think this was true of them. They had a privilege that nobody else had. That's why they were the apostles. They had a greater intimacy with God the Father. They spent three years with Jesus. They were the first given the Holy Spirit. And we know the Holy Spirit fell on 120 in that room, and then we know that more and more and more. But there's still, I don't want to ever take away from the fact that God had a special work for these apostles to do. And I believe he still has a special work for modern-day apostles. And I believe there are modern-day apostles. I believe, as we've talked about, there's been an apostolic succession. And there has been this this, uh, gift of office to the church to help lead the church and guide the church through the teachings of the the Holy Spirit. Um, But but I want to give you the example. Let's think about John, I mean, not John, Acts chapter 4, is it, I think. When Peter, James, and John are recorded as going up to the temple steps. And at the temple steps... There is a man begging who's been there all their life probably and and he's begging for money and they Peter says to him they stop and Peter says silver and gold have I not but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus the Nazarene or Jesus of Nazareth stand up and walk and the guy stands up and walks Could they have done that before Pentecost? Why? Because they didn't have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's the big reason. They wouldn't have thought to ask it. They they, they probably wouldn't have thought to ask it because they wouldn't have thought they had the power. And and, and it's not like there was this graduation ceremony. It's, It's not like all of a sudden, because of Pentecost... They all of a sudden got every piece of knowledge that God wanted them to have. I believe he gave, I mean, the human mind couldn't comprehend that. He gave them knowledge as they walked through the world. He led them as they walked through the world. And when they walked by that man, they were different people that had walked by him all through the years. Now they were walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they said, it just was instinctive to them. You know what? We're not giving this guy money. We're going to heal him. Because they were, they were so intimate with God, they knew what to ask for. And that's our question today. Do, are we so intimate with Jesus Christ that we know what to ask for? That we know how to, to just let him inhabit our life and our prayers? Well, that's a big, that, that takes a lot of intimacy. That's our goal, though. That needs to always be our goal. That needs to always be what we're working towards. Intimacy with Almighty God through the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, so that we can do his will, whatever that is. Um, that, that's, that, there's a whole lot. I'm just going to let that settle there for a while, and let's finish the, the chapter, because there's so much there to think about. But, but anyway, we see them. Jesus says to them in verses 25 through 28, he, he's basically saying, look, I've been talking to you guys in parables. I've been using figures of speech. But I won't do that in the future. 
uh, in that day, and there's a phrase again, I'm going to talk to you plainly about the Father. Okay, that day would be, okay, post-resurrection and before the ascension, he spent another 40 days with them. And in those 40 days, we can believe that he spoke very plainly about the Father. In those 40 days, he was teaching new things to them that were going to. They were now ready to see. They couldn't see it before. He, he revealed mysteries of the kingdom to them in those 40 days that they weren't ready to see before the cross. But now they are. And then, of course, through Pentecost, it'll just all become clear. But this is why he says. Now, interestingly enough, um, he, he, say, he finishes that saying, um, in that day you will ask in my name. We've been talking about that. Uh, and, and he doesn't say, he says, I do not say that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from the Father. This, Jesus is telling them, you're going to be intercessors. You have right, you're going to have right to the Father's presence just like I do. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? You're going to have the same right I do to ask the Father boldly. You don't have to. Now, we do it in his name. Christ is the second person of the Holy Trinity. But we still understand that we can come directly to the Father. Now, he says in verse 28, I came from the Father and have come into the world again, and I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Every time they hear him say that, they get a little nervous, they get a little disturbed, because they don't understand yet. And so they're, in verse 29, they say something interesting. What do they do, what do, they do in verse 29? What, what, do they, what do they say in verse 29? Oh, I get it. oh, wow, we get it now. We get it now. Oh, wow, now we understand. <laughs> That's what they say. Oh, now you're speaking plainly. Wow. <laughs> they have not got a clue, do they? They don't have a clue. <laughs> he says, do you really? Jesus says in, in, in verse 31, do you really? Do you now believe? You think you believe? If you, you you don't realize, but in just a few short hours, you're all going to leave me. Yeah. So let that be a lesson to us, lest we think we know. <laughs> you know, what do we really think we know? You know, here's what I've learned: the more I know, the less I know. I know that sounds like a weird thing, but it's true. The more I know, the less I know. Because the more I know about God and the more I know about his kingdom and the closer I grow to him, the more the vastness of its eternity and its infinite reality is laid out for me. And so now I know less than I did before because there's so much more to know. That's kind of like the phrase, the more holier I get, the less holy I am. Why? Because I'm comparing myself to an infinite reality of holiness. And the closer we get to God the less holy we feel. Just trust me on that. If you haven't realized that reality, you should. When we die to ourselves and we come into the presence of Almighty God and we realize that it's not about us and we're trying to seek His holiness, He will always draw us closer, but the closer we get, the less holy we feel because He is so holy. And we're comparing ourselves to the beautiful standard of infinite holiness. And we're finite. The holiness, whatever holiness we have, it comes from him, but it's finite as long as we're in this body. 
long as we're in this side of, this side of, of heaven. So in this section, Jesus says, he warns them, you're going to all scatter, you're going to leave me alone. But he says, I won't really be alone because the Father is with me. The Father is always with Jesus. He's never really alone because of the Godhead, the Trinitarian nature of it. And I, I, this is a very interesting phrase, and we're going to connect the last line of the chapter, verse 33, back to uh, the opening words of what we started with, verse 24. In verse 24, Jesus said that, the, that you will receive from the Father these things that you ask for in my name because he wants to make your joy full. Your joy may, that your joy may be full. And in the last line of this chapter, Jesus says, I've said this to you, that in me, that means in relationship with me, literally in my mystical presence, you will have peace. Where in the world you have trouble, or tribulation in this case, it uses the word tribulation, which means troubles and hard times. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I'm sure to them that night they thought not a bit of peace from what Jesus just said to them. They, they still don't understand. They're just like, well, I don't know. Whatever you say, Jesus, <laughs> we don't understand. They won't understand until they have this fourfold view of the kingdom. But then all things will be made clear. So what did Jesus mean that then you will have peace? Then you will have peace. What is peace? In John chapter 20, we're going to hear Jesus saying again, you know, peace be with you. My peace I give you. Um, what is peace? What is this peace that Jesus is promising them? It's, it, it, he's telling them in the midst of all their trials and tribulations, they will need to be of good cheer because they will have peace. He is our peace. He is our peace in the midst of trouble, right? Do we really get that? I wonder sometimes if we really get that. It's one thing to say it. It's one thing to say it. It's a whole other thing to live it. See, we can say we believe it, but until we live it, we don't really believe it. That's the that's faith in action. You know, that's that whole thing about are we saved by faith, are we saved by works? We're saved by faith only if we put it into work. Because other than that, it's just empty faith, empty faith. Empty head belief. So what is Jesus saying? What is peace? Peace is, peace is not the absence of trouble in our world, is it? Peace is not the absence of trouble in our world. Their world's about to get really troubled. Okay? They're, these, these men that Jesus is giving this incredible relationship of apostolic power and authority to lead the church of Jesus Christ, these men are about to live the worst years of their lives. I think the Apostle Paul somewhere calls it, I think it might be in one of his Corinthian letters, he kind of describes the hardships he's had. I don't know if he uses these words, but he talks about it. It's just like a dog's life. It's a horrible life. The life of an apostle was horrible. Going from town to town, often ridiculed, sometimes beaten, imprisoned. Uh, hardships, unbelievable. There was not this 
vision of our modern-day district superintendents and bishops who live in perfect peace and harmony and get to travel and all of this, you know, and they're so well-respected. And I mean, it just, not in the first century. It was tough. And I'm sure it is tough for ours out there as well in some places. But the idea I wanted to get you is that doesn't matter. Peace, the peace of God, the peace that comes only through Jesus Christ transcends all situations. No matter what our trouble is, if we cannot find peace within it, we are not trusting God. Now, I didn't say if we cannot have peace immediately, because we are humans. Okay, I didn't say that we won't have a few doubts and we won't be shaken a little bit, but at the end of the shaking, do we land on our feet in Christ and his peace? I think one of our best examples is Job. Job had his whole world shaken, didn't he? The Old Testament prophet Job had his whole world shaken. Everything taken from him. And his testimony was, was Job troubled? Absolutely, Job was troubled. Did Job understand? No, Job did not understand. But did Job still bless God? Amen. Yes, he did. Job still blessed. Even though, Job said, even though he slay me, yet I will praise him. Wow. Can we say that? I'm afraid. I'm afraid there there is. I'm, I'm not trying to be a prophet. I'm not trying to be a. I'm definitely not a prophet. Trust me. But I have fear that I'm trying to always live in the. I'm trying to live in God's peace about it. But I have fear for what our children's generation, my children's generation, will go through in this nation. Your grandkids and people. Another, because the drastic changes I've seen in our society in the last 30 years don't bode well for the next 30 years, okay? And, and, and that's troubling to me. But it's no different than the, than the fate of all humanity throughout times. It's just that we aren't used to it. We 21st century Americans aren't used to it. Because in the last 100 years of this modern world, we've lived in the greatest time of peace and prosperity ever. Ever. Never, ever, ever has there been any people on the face of the earth as prosperous and as filled with peaceful times as America in the last hundred years. I think we have been protected by God. I hope that's true. I mean, I have to give blessings to him. I, I, we sure don't deserve it. That's for sure. But we are, by matter of fact, the only nation in the history of the world. I'm not a history major, but I'm pretty sure this is a fact. That we're the only nation in the history of the world that has tried to truly found our freedoms on God-given rights. And a belief in God-given rights. Let me say it that way. A belief in God-given rights. And now they want to take the under God away from us. They can't take our, they can't, they can't take our God away from us. They can try and take our rights, of course, but they can't take our God. And Jesus said that, and that's what I'm talking about. Even if difficult days come, we don't have to lose our peace. Because I think the Apostle Paul said he is our peace, meaning Jesus, who has broken down every wall. There's no more barrier between us and the Father. We have the Holy Spirit. 
if we've asked for it and if we're trusting that we can live in it and walk in it, in him. So this brings a peace. Uh, and I think Jesus was trying to give them some comfort that night. He, he's trying to end, he's going to start praying in John 17 for them. But I think he's trying to bring some comforting words. I've said all this to you, verse 33, I've said all this to you so that in me you may have peace. And, and I think it's important for us to comment on what has he said to them. He has given them the truth. Jesus didn't whitewash it. He spoke truth to them. The truth, remember way back in John chapter 8, what did Jesus say about the truth? That's right. The truth will make you free. The truth will set you free. Jesus has been bold enough to teach them. He hasn't hidden anything from them. You're going to have trouble. It's not going to be easy. You're all going to scatter. But in me, you'll have peace. In me, you'll have peace. And when they get to this fourfold view of the kingdom, they're going to see it. Now, that with that, that kind of brings us to, uh, make sure I didn't miss anything in my notes here. Um, so they don't really get it, but they do believe. They don't really get it, but they do believe. I think it's important for us to understand that the relationship for them is one of belief. They do believe Jesus is the Messiah. They don't understand what all that means, but the important thing is they believe. And Jesus was re- is telling them the Father loves you and he's going to give you this power and this peace because you have believed. And he says that right there, doesn't he? He says that back in, uh, we might have went right over it, but he said that specifically when he said, um, verse 27, in that, in verse 26, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from the Father. When everybody else turned away because Jesus didn't look like the Messiah they wanted and they really believed was coming, these guys stuck with him because they believed he was Messiah. They believed he was from the Father whatever that meant to them at that limited time of understanding. That's very, very important. You can remember, hearken all the way back to John chapter 6, when Jesus was teaching on his body and his blood, that beautiful Eucharistic chapel, I mean, chapter of, of his teachings on my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And, at the, and so many people heard that and they said, wow, this is difficult, we're leaving. And they walked away. Followers of Jesus walked away when they heard him teach that. And Jesus didn't say, oh, come back, come back, come back. You're you're misunderstanding me. He looks to his disciples and he says at the end of John chapter 6, what? Are you going to leave me too? What would they say? Peter says, Lord, you alone have the words of life. Where else will we go? They believed. They didn't understand, but they believed. And I think that's a word to us today. We may not understand everything. You know, we may sometimes... Probably you leave Bible study with more questions than when you came in. I, I hope that's a good thing. I, I kind of hope that's a good thing. Because I want to remind us that we have we have the privilege of this Greek word here, erato, to ask from a place of intimacy. Every one of you has a right 
and a privilege to ask your Heavenly Father anything you want because you are His child. Every one of you that has a child in this classroom, if you have children, if your child came to ask you anything, you'd receive that question, wouldn't you? Because you love them. And hopefully your child loves and respects you and understands you enough that knows they can come to ask you anything. Certainly in their early years they do, don't they? In those really early years, isn't it fun to see how children just ask for the world? <laughs> no second thought about what they're asking for. I just, well, mom and dad will do anything for me. Of course I'm going to ask them. Well, that's the way it is. We're, we're, we can ask God anything. Just trust his will. Trust his will. And in the meantime, try and grow so close to Jesus that he's praying through you. He's guiding your prayer thoughts. He's, he's leading you what to ask for. Try something. I'm going to give you an experiment to try this week as we close class. I'm going to try give you an experiment. As you go out into the world for this week until we meet again, and maybe we'll be able to, this is kind of like what Jesus sent out to 72, you know. I'm not Jesus, but, but I'm sending you out to do this experiment, okay. I want you to go out, and I want you to start praying. Lord, teach me what to ask for today. Teach me what to ask for for someone else, not for yourself. I want you to ask that. And I want you to speak to me, Lord, throughout this day. Speak to me about what I should ask you for somebody else. And let's just see what happens. But but if you make that prayer your awareness, okay? Make that prayer your awareness. A couple of you are writing it down. Thank you. Because you'll remember it. I want you to take it seriously. Ask. Every day. Lord, reveal to me something that I should ask you for somebody. And I want to hear what happens. I believe God will guide you. I believe something will happen that you didn't know would happen. Maybe you'll be in a grocery store. Maybe you'll be in somewhere and you'll encounter someone and you're going to have a boldness. And you're going to hear from the Holy Spirit to do something or say something or give something. And you're going to, you're going to have that boldness from the Holy Spirit because you asked. Every day, Lord, lead me. Lord, lead me. Okay, guide me. Now just, just carry that awareness with you for seven days. And let's see what happens when we come back together. I'm going to do it with you. Okay, I'm going to do it with you. I, just, I, I, didn't, I didn't come in here with that assignment, but I just feel that assignment. Okay? Because I believe we want to practice what we preach here. And I believe that's what he was teaching them. Remember when I said in last week... Matthew 10 and Luke 12, Jesus said to them, you're going to get called up in front of the, the officials. Don't worry about what you'll ask. The Holy Spirit will guide you. Well, he only guided them because they were in prayer every day. What did they do when they met in the upper room for those 10, these 10 days between Ascension and Pentecost? What did they do? They prayed. They prayed. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. It was amazing what God does when we pray. Um, any questions, thoughts? We're up to the top of the hour, pretty close. Close out John chapter 16. And any, any questions, thoughts, comments? As we move to chapter 17, it's a, wow, it's a beautiful chapter. Um, it's his prayer. His high, it's often known as Jesus' 
high priestly prayer, if you will. It starts with verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father. So he begins in prayer. So let us close in prayer. Yes, um, Rhonda? I just want to ask, most people know about Lindbergh passing away yes, yes. funeral May. May 25th, if, a week from Saturday. Yeah, if we right. remember Shirley and Sarah, Right. Um, and then also, last night, well, it's probably out there. Um, uh, Pastor Williams' grand great grandson Tyson tried to take his own life last night. Which one? Tyson. That's Christie's. Christie's son. son. We really want, but he's okay. Christy, Praise Lord's God, he's a, yeah. Son. Praise God, he's okay. But just really lift him up in prayer. Pray for him. Um, just, just there's a lot of lot of troubled times for a lot of people out there, and, and it just breaks your heart. So please pray for him. Um, and pray for for uh, Shirley and Shauna and as they today, actually today, they have Lynn's graveside service out in Palco. So pray for them and remember them. And they'll celebrate with us on the 25th. And uh, tomorrow is uh, right here Bill Lowe's funeral. Uh, Marianne, uh, you know, they've their daughter's gone. They're, now Bill's gone. They just have a, that's been a tough road for that family. And, you know, he was with her when she died. And when she told me on the phone what it was like, I was just, wow. I mean, I know she's blessed to know that he has, doesn't suffer anymore, but still it's difficult. Can't imagine. She was with him when he died, yeah. So that's a blessing and a difficulty at the same time. So um, remember those things, but let's pray. Let's pray about... uh, Pray about those and pray about thankfulness to the Father for all of his gifts. Dear Heavenly Father, as we close our time together today, we thank you. We want to remember to thank you for the gift of your word, the gift of your spirit, the gift of your church, the gift of your kingdom. Help us to live in your spirit, in you, in this kingdom, as conduits of your love and your blessing through the, to the world around us. Bless these that we now pray for and have remembered on our lists and bless them as they walk through these difficult times. We trust them to you now in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, your Son, our Savior, who lives with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.